Welcome, Blues, to episode six of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. Well, Blues, once again, once again, our glass is most definitely half full. And to drink it with us, as usual, is none other than City fan legend Walter Smith. Walter, how's that Tenerife tan coming along? Well, I'm looking a lot browner than I was last week. So, yeah, yeah, enjoying it. You know, not too much sun. Uh, not too much beer or moderation but I tell you what there's too much good times on the football at the moment there's nothing to complain about there well that's exactly what we want to get into Walter uh, in the pre-match comments Pep said doing the same as last season is not going to be enough this season and certainly in the game against Arsenal we saw some new things remember guys this was the kind of game that we didn't want to have as the first game of the season it was a difficult challenge new manager bound with Unai Emery in front of a packed Emirates crowd. They were up for it. What did you think, Walter? What we're looking at is a, another level to Manchester City. If we can't break a team down with our normal formation, he can start changing it two, three times within a game. That's what I think he means when he says about doing the same as last season won't be enough. Because teams will have looked at us. Teams will have studied us. I mean, if you were a manager coming into the Premier League, which manager would you be trying to emulate? Which team would you be analysing the most? It's Manchester City. You've got all these managers who are looking at ways to stop us. Now, some won't be good enough anyway, but there will be a lot of teams out there who will be more difficult for us. I went to an evening with Paul Lake. Somebody said, if you answer the pep question, he just changes the question. And that's exactly what Pep, I feel, is going to bring to us this year. I mean, we will go into a bit more detail about how he changed it in the Arsenal game, but that's what I sort of believe that Pep's trying to almost get at when he's telling us doing the same won't be enough. Walter, when you saw how City began to play in the first half of the game, did you think to yourself, as I did, that this is perhaps how he wanted to play or a version of a game he wanted to play last season before Mendy got injured because now uh, Mendy was back and we saw... A very interesting performance where he was not only doing what we expected him to do, which was to career up the left-hand side and swing passes in, but he seemed to be combining his uh, normal Monaco-type role with that of Delft, because when City were not attacking, he was moving inside almost alongside Fernandinho and performing the role of Delft. As Sam Lee said in his tactical analysis, that Pep is trying to teach Mendy to combine his natural role with that of Fabian Delft. Is that what what you saw or did you see it a little differently? The way I see the Mendy role is I remember listening to a really interesting interview about Pep and it was this idea that it takes at least 20 games for a player to hit full stride in a Pep system if they've been out with a long-term injury whether that's Gundogan or whether that's uh, Mendy or indeed any player so I don't think we're going to see the full Mendy as it were the Monaco Mendy as we who gave us nightmares at the Etihad and over in France so what I would say is I think City fans need to be patient with Mendy we're seeing the seeds of what he can deliver we're seeing a guy with just unbelievable bursts of pace who can get down and cross that ball in with great accuracy what we're also looking at is a player who's tactically evolving with, within a Pep system. Pep's seen something in Mendy that he was willing to splash out. He, he could have gone for any left-back in the world, but he went for Mendy. So he's seen something there, and I trust Pep's judgment implicitly. Yes, he was coming in and offering that sort of Delft situation, but also alongside. He was almost playing a wing-back, and instead of having a traditional back five with 
the, the two wing-backs bombing on. With Walker and Mendy, you've got guys with such uh, sort of athleticism and such pace. There must be a nightmare to play against either trying to attack them or trying to defend against them. So he's almost playing wing-backs within a back-four system because he's got the... He's got the players to do that. So, yeah, Sam Lee's absolutely correct. It was, a, it was, it was interesting. Um, another thing, Walter, is that Mendy has got quite a lot of criticism uh, in some quarters on social media. Uh, we were able to see that uh, in defence he was... Uh, he did overcommit himself against Bellerin and lost the ball a couple of times. But I noticed that on both times when Mendy lost the ball, the first time he recovered it by diving in to divert across, and the second time he immediately recaptured the ball and went firing up straight at the Arsenal defence. And I think that's what Pep uh, means when he says that sometimes we want to kill Mendy, but also we realise that we've got a hell of a player. And it just occurred to me when M- Mendy was bombing forward time and time again up there he was bringing chaos to the Arsenal defence and we know that Jurgen Klopp is a guy who tries to create chaos in the uh, the opponent's half uh, did you do you agree that Mendy is so when he gets over the halfway line he creates chaos and people have no idea what he's going to do well to be honest sometimes I wonder if Mendy knows what he's going to do which again just adds that unpredictability you want a player if you're playing up against any player you want a player that you know know what he's going to do you know if somebody these guys aren't stupid a football has just advanced so much that you know any team we play against Pep's going to give complete instructions so you know if you're marking a man or you know if you're a right back and you know the left winger you're going to know if he wants to cut in left if he wants to go out wide you know you're going to be given videos and you're going to be given tactical analysis of who you're coming up against so a bit of unpredictability too right it causes chaos because you're talking about a guy, not only is he unpredictable, but he's fast, he's strong, and he can deliver. It's that ball that he delivers in. It's not just the cross. It's like a quick, accurate pass into dangerous areas that must just give opposition fans and defenders and teams just nightmares. The guy's the complete package once he's up and running. I mean, you just saw what he did, how he played against us on Monaco. You know, you're looking at this guy thinking, whoa, what's this? You know, one of those moments, I mean, like the first time he saw Edison do a long ball kick. Yeah, yeah I think this is out of the box. You know, it's, it, it's something unusual. And it's something, not only is it unusual, it gives you nightmares nightmares because you're thinking how the hell do you stop this and the good thing is as a blue and as city fans we don't have to worry about how we're going to stop mendy that's everybody else's problem there was a lovely little question on twitter walter when someone ran a little poll and they asked benjamin mendy is he more micah richards or more mario uh, that's an interesting question i mean i i thought micah richard as a just a traditional fullback was a fantastic defender and just what we needed at the time. The guy just had pace to burn. The guy was strong. He was athletic. You've seen the, you know, many a time you'd see, you know, the left winger get the ball. He'd look up at Mike and just think, what the hell am I supposed to do? I can't trick him and beat him because he'll catch me for pace. So in that terms, on the pitch... He's, he's very much Micah Richards-esque. I think Kyle Walker's like that as well. But they offer so, so much more than Micah Richards ever did. You know, Micah Richards was fantastic. 2008, slightly onwards, Manchester City defender. Uh, these guys are Pep 2018 defenders, and they're on a different level. And it'd been interesting to see Micah Richards getting coached under Pep. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, Micah Richards in his prime, because, you know, he was an intelligent footballer who, who, who was one of ours as well. And the guy, you know, just, 
Grealish wouldn't let you down. But I'm looking at Mario Balotelli. Mario Balotelli was a lot more of a loose cannon, I think, than uh, Mendy is. Mario Balotelli was um, the both, both sort of social media, and the, they both seem silly. But you just seem to find that Mendy seems to be that bit more. I put my house on Mendy a lot more than I put it on Bar- Mario Balotelli. He'd probably try and burn it down with fireworks for a start. <laughs> but uh, you know, the guy was such a loose cannon. They were you know scrapping with ex- the thing about Mario Balotelli is his prime was at Manchester City, and if you look at everything else he's ever done since. Yeah, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a guy who's got so much ability and you could see that, but never quite fulfilled it. Benjamin Mendy, if he gets his head down and at Monaco, etc., he was fulfilling it. So he's an interesting mixture of both, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Walter, let's ho- hop over to the other side where we saw a first-class display of Olympic sprinting from Kyle Walker. The one which ended up the one which ended up in the injury to Maitland-Niles. I've never seen, and a couple of the other overlaps, I've never seen anyone move as fast in my life it was like it was like a player on fast forward he was unbelievably fast it was the first time <laughs> that I really got an appreciation of how fast that guy is well anybody who tries to keep up with any normal human being that tries to keep up with Carl Walker are you surprised he get injured the guy's he's just the flash isn't it you know it, what more can you say about him this his, his crossing isn't up to the, the standard I don't feel yet of Mendy's but I mean what a fantastic buy and you know people were slating City when they went out and you know paid let's just call it 50 million for Kyle Walker you know this was educated pundits were having an absolute field day before you know we started playing for City just leathering us in the media you know we were destroying football notice how when the season started nobody mentioned the price tag again the guy turns turning out to be a bargain and you know he just seems like a right down to earth Yorkshire man who's absolutely delighted he can't believe he's giddy to be in that Manchester City team he's almost like the fan who's just playing now in this team and he's just he must be loving life you know his life is just a brandy and cigar moment he's turning up he's getting trained by one of the best coaches in the world he can see the absolute improvements within his games he's actually started winning trophies well he's just he's, he's living the dream is Kyle Walker and we're all living the dream with him you know we're seeing what he can do and it's that giddiness you gotta love a bit of Kyle one thing that all of our pundits friends or enemies of City were agreed on is that perhaps the most important and most impressive thing about this performance was the brick wall at the centre of our defence. Not only were Stones and Laporte gnarly and nasty and putting in the rough challenges and the nastiness, but they were launching striking passes through the middle and diagonal passes across the pitch through to Mares, through to Sterling. What a fabulous performance it was from those two guys. And this really looks like the first choice partnership from now on, does it not? Pep is the one manager in the world that would be there thinking... I need two ball-playing centre-halves. And one of the criticisms you could level at John Stones last year was he wasn't physical enough. I mean, I think it was Firmino sort of bundled him over and that sort of opened the floodgates to the 20 minutes of panic that we had during the season, which happened to be at Anfield when we lost in the league. So you could argue that Stones wasn't quite physical enough, but I think that World Cup has just given him just confidence upon confidence upon confidence to go out and perform on the top stage. Sometimes you just need that as a human being, validation and I think he got that with the British media and with the British or the English fans and he's brought that form 
and the early early season form from last year just seems to be on show. And Laporte, it just reminds me, it's like holding up a mirror. You know the two Spider-Men that look at each other in the uh, yeah. famous internet picture? Yeah. That's them two at their back. I mean, they're just they're the same age, they're the same build, the same style. You know, one's left foot, one's right foot. I just love the fact that somebody's gone out and just identified those two and said, they are the guys that I want to bring in. And you can see with a proper pre-season or learning throughout the season, these guys are going to be special, I'm hoping, this year. And I hope they will elevate us again. Because not only do the you were talking about this brick wall, but it's um, it's the idea that they get the ball and they can pass it long, pass it short, and there'll be a lot more movement within the team because other players around them are going to trust them to deliver the right ball, to see things that you know most defenders, 99 defenders out of 100 wouldn't see so yeah these two guys you know god bless vincent company he offers something completely different and he's just mr manchester city you know otamendi hasn't had the best world cup but you know he's not overly let us down in the past but it's not about not letting us down it's about creating from the back from creating from edison to the two center half then you in the you're talking in the worlds of de bruyne and silver yeah stones and laporte though i do argue have learned something from otamendi and company because there was one moment that keen city watchers will have noticed where Stones runs uh, sprints after Aubameyang and Sly tackles him into the touchline taking the ball cleanly and people were thinking that's the kind of complementary skill that he needs to his fantastic ball play but uh, let's move on comment on this statement Walter same old Bernardo always scoring <laughs> Bernardo Silva was brought in I see him being brought in as the long term replacement for David and when he came in He's almost playing what the role that Mares is now. The guy's got a 360 kind of vision in the same way that David Silva has. And to have him, when he's playing on the on the wing, he's only utilising 180, if you know what I mean, because the other 180 is off the pitch. So it's, it's a waste of that type of player last year. Not that he didn't do badly, but, you know, he did great on that side. But Bernardo Silva, what's not to love about him? You know, the guy's got vision, he's got movement, and he's got that little nasty streak. But also on top of that, he started to bag the goals. So what? a fantastic squad player you know when he comes across as a humble guy who's learning from Pep all the time and as I said Pep wants to elevate it Pep wants to elevate the team up levels and levels and levels so what you've got to look at is if he's up you've got to look at the players that you feel that can progress through those levels and Bernardo Silva is certainly one of them comment on this statement Walter this is part two same old Sterling always scoring <laughs> I tell you it wasn't the British media that wrote that is it he's um, what a fantastic goal it was as well you know it's Pep was talking about him coming back sharp and he's not had a, a long sort of pre-season he's not had a long time when you're doing pre-season that's the, that's the time I feel that Pep goes over his ideas and tries to that's his chance then to elevate the players thinking and the you know he's, he's got his whistle on the side of the touchline and he's there sort of breaking up the play blowing his whistle stopping telling players what they should be thinking what they should be doing but Sterling Sterling is appreciated within the City fan base I mean I was watching it um, what made me laugh was watching it uh, sat next to a Liverpool fan who watched the game and just decided to stay on in the pub and watch the City game could just see this fellow 
and I'm like, go on, Raheem. And as soon as he bagged out, you know, just Liverpool fans looking, thinking, yeah, fair enough. You know, and we paid, we didn't even pay 50 million for him. In today's sort of market, the amount of money that we paid for him, again, it looks like a bargain. And this is a player that scored over 20 goals last year. So it's got to hurt for them seeing him do so well. But it's got to absolutely get in the, the back throats of some of that British media who just sat there waiting for him to fail, you know, and have nothing nice to write about him. And that's Raheem's way of saying, well, sod you, take that. Got a strange question now for you, Walter, but bear with me. Have you ever seen the movie Day of the Jackal? Not the uh, remake, the original one with Edward Fox. He plays an assassin being pursued by a French detective. Do you remember that at all? Yeah, it's Frederick Forsyth's book, isn't it? I've read the book and I've seen both movies. Right, well, there's a, an episode in the movie and also in the book where our assassin is out in the forest and he is practicing with his handmade gun and he's shooting at apples and he just keeps having to adjust the rifle sights a little bit three or four times until eventually he hits the target. I was reminded of that when I was watching Riyad Mahrez because Riyad Mahrez had such, he exhibited such beautiful control of the ball and he was piercing in on his inside very, very nicely and striking balls across. He had a, a free kick that nearly went in. He had a strike that went just inches wide. Do you feel that uh, Riyadh is just very slowly altering the rifle sights on that left boot and in the next couple of games we're going to see something from him? It's an interesting analogy, that. Um, the thing with Riyadh Mahrez is he's just come to a new club and he's, you can see the hungers there. That's what I'm most impressed with. I mean, when David Silva first signed for Manchester City, there was a lot of uh, City fans were like, well, he's a bit lightweight. He's, I don't think he's got what it takes to make it in the Premier League. It's not about one or two games. It's about what somebody, the contribution someone can give over a full season. And if he's, as you say, sharpening his um, aim up, I think he's going to be a special player for us. There's already, uh, I think it was Leroy Sane came out and said he's the most uh, talented member of the squad. He said the stuff that he can do in training is just unbelievable. Beautiful control. So, yeah. beautiful. I mean, the thing is, very rarely do you see uh, Riyad Mahrez um, miscontrollable. A bit like Sammy, Sammy Nasri was a bit like that. And Sammy Nasri in his prime was a fantastic player. Oh, yeah. But his prime wasn't, early prime for me wasn't often enough. But Riyad Mahrez is a different kettle of fish. It's like he's got that ability, but he's got that hunger and desire as well. Which, as a... As a fan, that I mean, all City fans used to hang our coat on a player that would uh, give a hundred percent, whether that was a Dickoff or a Morrison or a Gota. You, you know, you wanted to see that hundred percent. And in some respects, when we signed more talented players like your Robbie Fowlers or your Steve McManaman, well, they never became City legends because they had no desire and absolutely no desire to go on and do well. So you need a combination of both if you want the club to be one of the top clubs. You need desire and you also need that just unbelievable skill and in football and intelligence and Riyad Mahrez has got that in bucket loads he looks hungry and he, he looks like he what he's come to City to do well for himself number one the team number two for Pep number three for the fans number four he wants to do well and I think he's going to be a special player this year I'm going on record saying that. Walter, in every iteration or evolution of a Man City team that I've ever watched over the last 40 years now, there's always been a scapegoat. There's always been somebody that people get on the backs of. And uh, remember, it was people like uh, Kolarov and uh, various others that people used to get on their backs when things didn't go for City. If you were studying the internet and you were looking at that as an independent question, you would conclude that the person that they loved 
getting stuck into is Ilkay Gundogan. I totally refute this, and I know you do too, but is Ilkay Gundogan going to be the fall guy for City Idiots on Twitter? Well, the problem with Twitter is it gives everybody a voice, you know. You'd make a throwaway comment in the pub, and that would be the end of it. But once you put something down on Twitter, well, that's it. Unless you delete it, someone can go on the back and have a look at that in 10 years' time. I remember Richard Edgell just uh, getting absolutely dogs abuse playing for City. I mean, it tended to be a lot of the fullbacks, but the, the bar's been set so high at Manchester City now. There's no mugs in that team. And Ilkay Gundogan, for me, would walk into pretty much any other Premiership team. The fact that he's prepared to take on a, a bit part at City and be, have a, a role that sees him not getting a great deal of minutes... And he's happy with that. And there doesn't seem to be an ego. The squad isn't going to be made up of Kevin De Bruyne's and David Silva's, uh, you know, and Fernandinho's. We've got a, a guy there that can do a decent enough job in all those roles. Is he as good as any of them? No. But he's a talented player. You don't want him leaving the squad. Well, you, you get some money in from him. So what? What? What is that actually going to... What are we going to spend that money on? We've got a lot of money in the bank after spending sod all this summer. So he's a decent squad player. Pep wants him there. Yeah, everybody's got an opinion. And like most, every single fan base in the world, it's a broad church, isn't it? You know, you're going to have... Everybody watches the game and sees a thousand different things. So I I trust Pep. You trust Pep. Let's read Twitter. I mean, Twitter's not the the be-all and end-all. You know, you've got to look at Twitter and you follow people whose opinion you respect. And if you don't respect any someone's opinion, certainly don't follow them. And maybe point the odd finger and uh, poke a bit of fun. Well, now, Walter, there are three players that we haven't discussed so far. I'm not going to tell you who they are. I'm just going to give you a couple of quotes that were attributed to one of them and see if you can guess who it is. Quote number one, (laughs) his powers are declining. Quote number two, he's beginning to show his age. Now, you might come to that there are two people that you might guess for those quotes it might not be the one that you're thinking of anyway who do you think those quotes were attributed oh well who have we not discussed well you've got Ferrandinho you've got Aguero and then you've got Twitter which spouts all types of nonsense well it is one of those two it is one of those two that's some idiots isn't there I thought Ferrandinho was just a class act and I thought Aguero I thought he played well I'm going to go for Aguero because he had the one on one with the keeper and people would have expected. I remember he ran through and I jumped up and I, I just shouted, if there's one man I want to have the ball, because, you know, the guy delivers on a regular basis and he's, hu- he's only human after all, as the song says. So I'm going to say Aguero. Go on. Yeah, it was Aguero. And, uh, the, <laughs> Idiots. The, the, yeah, the common view was that he missed two sitters and the one where he was played straight through on goal, a clear sideways pass to Kevin De Bruyne and that would have been in the back of the net. But you can't really bl- you can't blame strikers for being selfish. That's what they're... Um, that's what they're supposed to be, isn't it? I'll tell you what, if he'd have tried to lay the ball off in the 93rd minute after 20, 20 seconds and he'd have botched it up, I'll tell you, there'd have been a lot of complaints then. So, you know, Aguero's Aguero, and I'm not being funny, have a look at his strike record and then come back and criticise. About the other one we didn't mention is Ederson. Do you think he got bored in the last 10 minutes and just wanted to play silly buggers with himself to test himself? <laughs> he'd got nothing to do for the whole game apart from one uh, straight save from, I think it was Bellerin. Um, I got the impression Ederson was thinking to himself, "This isn't a whole lot of fun. Let's have a few. Uh, let's have a bit of fun with the Arsenal forward line and put them to the test." That's what it looked like, anyway. Any top keeper at any top club is gonna have long periods of doing sort of and 
Edison does more than most because there's that pass back, and uh, you know that's the way that Manchester City play. Um, let me think. No, I, th- I think he needs to sharpen that up. To be honest, I think uh, Edison needs to be getting less bored and thinking about himself, and more thinking about the team. But as far as I just love Edison in terms of the guy, you can see he's got that sort of a little bit of bonkers streak. The thing is, with the way Pep wants to play, Edison is going to be taking risks, and Edison will get caught out over the season. And you've got to look at not what that risk was, but what it's brought to us over the last season, what it's going to bring to us over the seasons. To come he's the one when he's got the ball of any keeper probably in the world where the, the forwards are thinking well I've got to close him down but he can think I'll play it long I'll play it even longer I'll even play it 70 yards I'll play it three yards there just doesn't seem to be anything within 70 or 80 yards he can find a man and there's no other keeper that I can think of who's got that accuracy so Edison is what Edison is and Pep wants him to play that way so Maybe he was bored, but no, I think that's a top professional athlete. I don't think so. I think he just got caught out a little bit. A joke comment. But um, let's mention the opposition a little bit, uh, Walter. This was part one of what has become known as devengerization that is being attempted by Unai Emery. Now, we all saw at the weekend that um, you can be a little bit naive when facing certain opposition. We all saw this from Pellegrini, who stuck with his high line for West Ham and uh, got beaten 4-0 by Liverpool. My goodness, if there's one thing you don't do in the first game of the season is play a high line against Liverpool. But do you think that Emery was guilty of the same thing in trying to play out from the back, using their goalkeeper to play out from the back in the first game of the season against the champions? Well, remember I was talking about every, every club is going to be looking at City. So every club's looking at City in the way that they play. And I saw it with Chelsea and now Arsenal. These top clubs want to be playing out from the back because they want to shift City around the pitch. For, and they want to... It's like when City do it, they're playing backwards and forwards because they're looking for the opposition and gaps there. So that's what they're trying to utilise and that's what they're ultimately trying to achieve. So... Other clubs have sort of cottoned onto it. And like most things in football, what they do is an idea doesn't stay at one club if it's successful. People emulate it and copy it. Now, what you've got with City is they've been used to that and they've been doing it now for this is the third season that they're doing it. Other clubs are cottoning onto it and are also doing it. But do you remember when um, we played Napoli last year mm-hmm. and the City, City, this was at the Etihad and they were knocking it around the back for ages and Napoli were a great, I think they were the best team we faced last year and they were knocking it around, knocking it around. You could see that the City fans were getting a bit jittery but we've got used to that now. We don't panic. But no other club in the Premiership does have that. The fans aren't used to it and the fans are getting jittery thinking, why are we just lump it up? You know, the typical English, just lump it up to the big man or just lump it up, get rid of it. You know, you're creating unnecessary risk. So what I would say is other teams are trying their best to catch us up and play that style of football. But the problem is we're already good at it. The fans are used to it. So we're not any in any ground of the, if the fans get jittery, it just passes straight onto the players. And that's what's going to be happening to any team that's trying to do that over the next few years until it's a success like it is at City. So I don't think he was tactically naive. I just think he's trying his best to emulate what is successful. And they've got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, it uh, reminded me of City's uh, first season under Pep when he's trying to do this with the likes and 
uh, collar <laughs> off. And uh, of course, City fans were watching that behind their behind gaps in their fingers. It was uh, oh, behind sofas, behind uh, grabbing your mate. It was nerve wracking. Yeah, absolutely. It's only because you look at what we achieved last season, and you look at the amount of chances we conceded. It was the least in the Premier League. So what we're doing now is working, and the players are comfortable with it. Everyone's got to catch us up, which is always good news. Yes, one person who I think would probably agree with that is Sam Allardyce. He was on uh, Talk Sports, I think the name of that show is. And uh, I think, to be fair to Sam, he got a lot of initial grief for saying that it was a stupid idea for people to do this. What he actually said was, of course, that City are pretty much experts at this. They've been doing it for uh, two, three years, and that uh, people would be stupid to try to... uh, to emulate that i suppose the question is whether you should try to implement it and take a lot of defeats on the way to getting it right or whether you should just wait until you've signed all the players that are capable of doing it i mean pep uh, tried to implement it with players who weren't up to it but he did get the system embedded for when he did get the right players in what do you reckon walter should uh, uh, teams like uh, arsenal uh, and others should they be putting it into practice even though they know that they're going to take a lot of heavy defeats uh, or should they just uh, try to to play in the traditional way until they've managed to buy three four or five of the players who are adept enough technically to do it well for me you've got to do you, you've got to look about where you club, where you want your club to be and if you want your club to be where city are now you need to start emulating what they're doing and if you've got the players there you talk about four or five players well they need to be doing it ultimately you need to be doing it now because it's not just about the four or five players it's all it's the whole team and other players need to be used to where they're supposed to be when they're knocking it around at the back um so what i would say is they need to be on it and it's you don't have to replace the whole four or five what you're doing is you you know you're bringing in one or two i mean car walker came in you try and identify these players you know Benjamin Mendy was brought in they were actually identified to say these are the players that we want we've seen something in them but you know not not the whole of the back four has changed so you need to bite the bullet I'm afraid you know you need to start implementing it and you know you talk about heavy losses as you get used to it the losses will become less and Arsenal have got enough about them to take apart most teams in the Premier League it's just when you come up against the likes of City you may have to take the losses. But, you know, they lost 2-0 and the last two times they lost 3-0. So I see improvement for them. (laughs) It was an absolutely frightening bench, Walter. If you looked at City's bench before the game started, you had Kevin De Bruyne, you had Phil Foden, you had Leroy Sané, Brahim Diaz, Gabriel Jesus, uh, Vincent Kompany, Otamendi, and, of course, uh, Bravo. What a frightening bench. And uh, we just heard uh, a bit of news about one of them. Uh, just yesterday, and that is that uh, David Silva, David Silva, of course, wasn't on the bench, but uh, David Silva has retired from uh, international football to concentrate on his city duties. That must please you, I guess. Yeah, of course it does. I mean, uh, as much as I like seeing David Silva play for Spain and it's, it's all beautiful, the idea that he's now focusing his, all his efforts on Manchester City and what a player he is you know he's not a young fella either so he's decided and it must be hard for him I think it's a lot to do with what City showed him in his time of crisis and I think that's going to go a long way 
for David Silva and his, you know, his affiliation with Manchester City. You know, he's when he signed for us, he had no affiliation with Manchester. But boy, when he leaves us, he's going to be there thinking, you know, he loves the place, he loves the club, and he loves the people there that have done so much for him. And maybe this is his way of just paying back and saying, look, I am focusing on what I've got to focus on now. But what a player. He's absolutely, arguably, the greatest City player that's ever lived. So the fact that he's retired for Spain when he did that, I just thought, good on you. Thank you very much, David. This will do me. One of our greatest fans, I mean, one of the greatest fans on Man City, was uh, tweeting again, our friend Mr. Duncan Castles. And uh, he, <laughs> he, he, made a, he made a comment. Now, before you, uh, you know, do what all of us do and, 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 and you know, unleash venom on this guy, uh, the comment that he made was this, Guardiola's true, boo, true blue purists, time-wasting at a corner kick on 58 minutes, then time-wasting at a goal kick on 61 minutes. Now, that guy hates us, but it is true, Walter. City were doing that, and if you saw how long it took uh, Riyad Mahrez to leave the pitch, is it not just uh, more accurate to say City have learned the dark arts, they've learned how to manage a game, and they are not trying to be true blue purists, they're trying to do what it takes to win a game of football? Duncan Castles. <laughs> it's a shame because I know the thing about Duncan Castles is he's an intelligent bloke and he's got some good contact, but it's his unbelievable blind spot for Mourinho and this ultra-critical spot for Pep Guardiola uh, that sort of, it does let him down and it, it makes him look stupid. Um, it's the first game back, nobody's up to near fitness. If you can waste a bit of time because you're 2-0 up, why not? You, you know, three points are in the bag. Duncan, go and have a look at the Premier League table last year and tell me who's doing a good job. He just, he lets himself down and that's, you know, disappointing because he's actually quite an engaging bloke to listen to sometimes. You know, when he's talking about most other teams apart from the two Manchester clubs, you know, you think, yeah, yeah, you're quite, you know, that's quite uh, an articulate and sort of insightful view. And then you listen to him just let himself down by being an arse, basically. And trying to make something out of nothing and you just think, man, grow up. Sadly for me, just as I was giving uh, Duncan a bit of uh, credit for having spotted something that was actually happening, though he didn't really put a nice spin on it, five minutes later he issues another tweet and he calls Laporte uh, tackle uh, on Obama Young, I think it was, as ugly as City's new kit. So I think there it shows you that the man is, uh, he's got something against us. But let's not dwell on Duncan Castle. Let's uh, move on to, <laughs> let's move on to a couple of other things. Walter, one thing that uh, is uh, trending on the internet a lot by a lot of City fans is about Martin Tyler. Now Martin Tyler, he, fe he features in our beautiful musical intro with that wonderful commentary on 9320. But a lot of people have noticed that that was a big game, and he was the commentator for that 93-20 game, so he gave it his all. But they've noticed that in pretty much every other game since then, when City scores, it's like he's reading a funeral rite for a dead relative. And I, I, took, a look, I took a look at this, and I, I listened to commentary after commentary after commentary. Is Tyler a red? I don't even know. To be fair, I just think Tyler serves his paymasters. And what's good for Sky is having Manchester United and Liverpool at the top and doing well because they're the ones with the biggest fan bases and who will pull the subscriptions in. You know, I was watching, uh, maybe laugh, I was um, 
just looking at, you know, you know the advert for the Prime, the documentary that's coming out. Can't wait, three days. Three days. And it was, uh, I was reading the, tw- you know, the response. They put it out as a tweet and it had the video within it. And I was reading the responses that were coming up. And it was these, you know, United and Liverpool fans saying, well, that's me cancelling Prime and all the rest of it. And I thought, mate, you know, they're not really bothered that Dave from Devon's cancelling his Prime. You know, they've invested 10 million quid into this. And, you know, it's a fantastic, by all accounts, documentary. So, you know, it's um, Tyler sort of gets to the point. Tyler is um, just serving his paymasters. And he sat there with Gary Neville and Tyler. And whether we're pl- I remember when we played at Anfield and he went mental because uh, I think Sterling scored the first goal for Liverpool. And then when David Silver pulled one back, it's like, oh, all right, you know. And it's, he, again, he lets himself down and he lets sort of, he's supposed to be, you know, he's not a stupid man, but he makes himself sound stupid because, you know, ultimately there's only going to be two sets of fans. It was going to be an Arsenal and City fans watching that game. And with it being at Arsenal, you know, there's going to be a lot of them actually at the game not listening to him. So you, you're talking about a lot of City fans watching that and a lot of City fans pick up on it because why? It's so bleeding obvious. The worst one ever was when we beat Everton and we were, ch- we were ch- chasing down um, Liverpool for the league and Everton went 1-0 up. I think Barkley scored a goal and he went mental and it was like, you know, and it was a fantastic goal and it was a great commentary. And then we scored two goals back and it was like someone had just, you know. People are noticing this. As you were saying, well, it's, 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 they're noticing it because it's bloody obvious. Martin Tyler just lets himself down at that, you know, and people say, oh, you know, you, you, City fans have just been paranoid. And then if you actually pull up all the examples, you think, yeah, Martin Tyler, give it a, you know, give it a rest. You know, it's, um, I, I only think he did the Aguero moment because he knew that was going to be shown. If Martin Tyler was serving Martin Tyler. You know, he knew that was going to be shown all over the world and it was going to become a famous commentary, not because of him, but because of the actual goal and, the, you know, the, the, the timing of the goal and the importance of the goal. And Martin Tyler was like, oh, I'm going to serve Martin Tyler here. You know, and he gave it his all for that Aguero moment. But every time Rooney used to get it, bloody hell, Rooney! You know, like, mate, he's probably sat there in his own half. So, Martin Tyler, joke, get rid of him. Another thing that City fans are talking about quite a lot is the sheer predominance of media pundits from Manchester United and Liverpool. You've got Graham Souness, you've got Danny Murphy, you've got Gary Neville. Walter, will you support me in my personal one-man petition to get... <laughs> Paul Lake to get Paul Lake on the TV. He's a fantastic commentator on the radio. He's far more articulate and far more thorough than half of those guys. Do you agree with me that we should have Paul Lake on Match of the Day? Yeah, I mean, Paul Lake, I've been to speech with Paul Lake. He is an articulate, witty, funny guy who's, um, I don't know, he's, uh, he's insightful as well and he reads the game well and he will criticise City when they need criticising. Uh, so I'm just looking at the reason there is a lot successful players tend to get pulled by the, the TV companies. Now, whether that's Thierry Henry or, you know, at World Cup time, you know, the, Roy Keane gets brought in. So they do get the successful players that are household names and like like it or not, the way if that's their formula for choosing players, Paul Lake is famous within the city community, but he's not got that pull of you know he hasn't got quite got that pull that the TV companies are looking for. If that's their formula, they're not looking for a guy who's articulate. They're not looking for a guy who can 
analyse a game, if you ever actually look at what they talk about at half-time or at full-time, just take this in mind and watch it, and the listeners do this, look at half-time about what they're discussing and they're never breaking down tactics. They're always talking about a penalty incident and showing slow-mos and they're talking about whether it was a red card, yellow card or a refereeing incident. They don't actually offer any analysis to the overall game plan and what both managers are trying to achieve and their objectives from that. They're, They're talking about nothing. And then when they get on 606, again, it's the same. The phone-ins, they're talking about incidents within the game, not the overall picture of the game. And that just seems to be the formula. I don't know whether that's the same for foreign TV or when I'm watching English TV and they're talking about any team, that's what they're trying to get at. They're they're not trying to educate the listener or the, the viewer. They're just literally nitpicking. You know, if you slow it down and you look at it from this reverse angle, he just does touch the ball. Yes, so it's not a penalty. So people can get irate about that, not about educating themselves about the beautiful game. Yeah, I guess we're just going to have to wait to our special generation uh, move on and leave the game. The people are talking about Vincent Company and what a pundit he'd make. They're also talking about Pablo Zabaleta, who's been on. He's been fantastic. So perhaps with, uh, with, with these City players that are coming through that have had international and domestic success, probably we'll get them on the box. But... Um, I just mentioned Vincent Company because he came out with a very interesting uh, comment, Walter, which had a few people scratching their heads, to be honest. He, in an interview, said that he thought that the quality of the individual players in the uh, in City's first uh, championship win was very much equal to the quality that we have in our current team. And I was thinking, my goodness, that's quite a comment to make. Uh, obviously, he's standing up for his... Um, his colleagues when we won that uh, amazing uh, first uh, championship. What did you think about that? Or do you think he has a point at all? He actually said that um, the quality was the same, but the difference was in the coaching and the preparation. And that was also confusing because I, I also thought that Roberto Mancini, he was uh, nothing if not a micromanager of play. So um, what did you think about that? If you look at the, the first sort of uh, the starting 11 that, started, that won the to, you know, the first sort of uh, the Aguero moment. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a fantastic team there. Um, it'd be interesting to see both teams go up against each other. Mm. But in many respects, I, you know, uh, this is a guy who's trained with both of them. You know, we're looking at it from performances on the pitch over, you know, and through blue eyes as well. Um, so this is a guy who sees the teams week in, week out. And Pep does absolutely elevate players he doesn't try and create that conflict and Mancini for all his um, things that he, he turned us he start, he turned the screw and got us uh, you know winning trophies and got that winning mentality but while he was doing that Pep was just blowing the world apart with his Barcelona team so you know there were different stages of the Manchester City journey and the players that we had them you know it's they were an absolute fantastic side you know it's hard to compare but if Vincent's saying that it's the coaching who might have disagreed with him because he's got the inner circle and he can see everything that's happening so he, he may well be right you know these are players that are playing a different style of football this football was only played at one club you know, 10 years ago. Now a lot of teams trying to emulate it. So I'll just bow to Vince's superior knowledge on that part. Walter, we all have a piece of advice for you because when you're leaving Tenerife and you're coming back to the, uh, the sunny climbs of Manchester, when you're driving to that airport and you get surrounded by kids who are demanding your autograph for being on the Bolt from the Blue podcast, please, Walter, <laughs> please do not sit there 
with your hands on your cell phone because if you do, we're going to report you. We've got a duty to do that. We have to do it. We love you, but we're going to have to report you to the to the local constabulary. Did you see that, <laughs> which happened to Mohammed Salah? No, again, I'm in Tenerife, so what I try and do is spend quite a bit of time off my phone. I mean, this is the longest I spend on it, uh, just for yourself and the listener. So, no, I haven't. To be honest with you, I'm one of those, I've got me. There's two things up for in a car, and that car it's uh, is it economical and has it got a decent stereo? So I've got that Apple CarPlay. So oh. I'm never on my phone in the car. And if most sellers on his phone in his car, well then tough look out for him because you know if he kills somebody because he's trying to send a text or whatever. He's got to live with that for the rest of his life. So if he's getting done for it, good. Well, I think uh, City fans will know what I'm talking about. They'll also uh, know about the uh, famous Klopp celebration uh, on one of the Liverpool goals. You didn't get the chance to see this, Walter, but uh, take a look at that and maybe we'll comment on that next week. But I think now is probably a good time to uh, wrap up. And so we'll say to our listeners, thank you very much once again for listening. Be sure to tune in again next week to the Bolt from the Blue podcast. Walter is on Twitter at Man City Smith, isn't that right, Walter? It certainly is. If you've got any questions uh, for the podcast, just find them in and we'll do our best to answer them. Fantastic. And I'm there too, also on Twitter at Bolt from the Blue. So until then, drink it in blues and have one on us with the toast of Up the Blues. Oh. 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 Oh.